A mother in Yuma, Arizona is desperately seeking answers nearly a decade after her 19-year-old daughter went missing. I'm just begging and waiting for somebody to please help us, help us find her. He used to own Black Rose. So he had construction below his trailer. He had like a hole there. And I was like, dude, that guy? No way. I knew he was weird, especially with young ladies, but I didn't know he was, you know. But that's the thing. You never know with anybody. I'm Elle Marquis, and this is Rural Gothic, a podcast about small towns with big crimes. And right now, I'm trying to find out once and for all what happened to Emily Heber. A 19-year-old girl who vanished from my hometown of Yuma, Arizona, 10 years ago this month. Last week, we heard from my friend Charlie. This is the rest of my conversation with them. I was still a teenager when I was first hanging out with Chad. I actually met him, to be honest, in AA, like, and NA, I don't know, forever ago when I was 15. Tell me your story about, like, meeting this person and getting involved in, like, how you feel about their character now. Chad was also friends with another guy named Chad who was younger than him. Who's the other that's younger? His friend who's been in and out of prison, just like all of them. They've all been, whatever, in and out of the system, but not Chad. Not so much, and everybody knows why. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> you don't know why. <laughs> no one will tell me why. <laughs> tell me why. Are you serious? No, I swear to God. Well, there's a combination of things, you know what I mean? Chad's dad had connections. Chad Sr. was, like, well-connected throughout the town, owning that little fucking trailer park and many other things, owning that service. Both of them are very known for holding many secrets of the town. Chad Sr. owned that service in Yuma forever, right? Opened it, owned it for decades, and Chad really ran the whole thing. But there was so much more that happened with that company alone. That whole thing is one whole chest of secrets. I mean, it was kind of the veins in the city to run drugs, essentially. Yeah, and not just drugs. I mean, clearly there's so much that happens with that. I mean... Drugs and sex work and... Drugs, sex work, absolutely. I mean... I literally know for a fact people who worked through there, people who pimped girls out through there when their hours were, all of it, dude, that it was so lucrative. But not just that. The thing that's more expensive and more valuable than drugs or sex is information. You see what I'm saying? And that's the thing that, I don't know, I guess weighs the heaviest on my hesitancy to endanger you at all. But if you're already in it, you're in it and you're going to go there, so. Exactly. I'm in it. I'm going down this rabbit hole. I want to uncover this shit. I'm fucking sick of it, like, keeping people down, keeping people oppressed. Like, I'm just done with it, you know? I know, kid, but I'm saying you're not the only one that's been done with it and over it throughout the years. And I just want you to be really, really humble in how you're being careful. Chad in particular, like his best friend right now is in the CIA. I'm not even kidding. Not exaggerating at all. Literally, I mean from his own mouth, 
the last time I was around him, which wasn't that long ago. I guess 2017, early 2018. I saw him, and he's got a fucking house in Bisbee with a dude in the CIA. And he was trying to get me to fucking give him mushroom spores to grow. Also, one of the last times I fucking saw him, I had a bunch of fucking weed I had to sell. But weed was legal, kind of. So fucking, I had a lot of it. And I fucking ran into Chad, and he was like, oh yeah, let me help you. And fucking sent me into this weird-ass situation that I was like, man, this is a fucking setup. You know what I mean? I went out there to check it out. I didn't bring anything with me. You know what I mean? Because I didn't know these people. I didn't even know... I mean, I knew the area. You felt like this was a setup, like, to get you busted? Hell yeah, dude. Oh, he's always doing shit like that. I mean, not to me. That was the first time or the last time he'd ever done anything like that to me. I would never fucking be put in that situation again. Is that one of his tactics to staying out of the trouble? That's the name of the game in Yuma, period. Also, anywhere in the drug game. But... For him in particular, he's a fucking rat. Everybody knows that's how he stayed out, dude. He's fucking, he's always been connected. He's always, I mean, come on. That dude should still be in prison for the shit he's been a part of and witnessed and done. Also, it was crazy because I was just telling the story about this one time. I think I was still underage, maybe 16 and fucking he was married to this chick named mm-hmm. she was cool she was a friend of mine but they had this kid this little girl and she was little at the time and her fucking mom had gone to bed kid had gone to bed and we were linking up in this living room smoking and i was on the phone with a friend of mine in san diego another teenager my age a teenage girl, right? And my friend was wasted. She was already wasted when I was on the phone with her to begin with. And he was like, oh yeah, let's go pick her up. And like, he fucking drove me there. No shit. All the way to the fucking beach to pick up my fucking homegirl and bring her back to the park, to his place, to his fucking trailer. And he was like, oh yeah, I'll just give her a ride back in the morning. I mean, it was so fucking crazy, dude. I mean, she was cool. I have pictures of her at the fucking Black Rose with fucking everybody. There's a couple of them on Facebook. I think I might have some hard copies. Anyway, fucking A, dude. They were just always these fucking older dudes kicking it with teenage girls. I'm talking teenage, too. It's like... Have you talked to a teenage girl recently? God, it's so apparent that they're babies. Yeah. I'm like, how creepy. Even the most mature. Also, Chad's actually very paranoid. He's really low-key about it, but I mean, I'm telling you, I've been around him forever, day in and day out for chunks of time. I'm not even kidding. And just the way he talks, like how he fucking smokes and 
he uses this fucking hand to rub his beard and be all low-key and say something while covering his mouth with a cigarette but he's like saying some shit you know what i mean but he's also saying about how he's paranoid about this or that person and why you know what i mean but not using the word paranoid necessarily he's aware dude that's how him and his old man stayed so slick all these years from your experience do you think he embellishes at all or like makes shit up i mean yes and no i'd say like 80 percent of the time it is what it is i mean everybody embellishes occasionally but for the most part he's saying what's up and he's also got this quality when he's telling the truth it makes it questionable but if you know him or you know how yuma is how things work there then you know he's telling the truth i know when he's telling the truth for sure and not exaggerating Hmm. you didn't feel unsafe with him or did you ever feel unsafe with him is the question I mean, I wouldn't say that I personally ever felt unsafe with him in particular, but I could see him, I mean, he wouldn't do something like violent alone, you know what I mean? But I have seen him violent. I've seen him get angry and be aggro or whatever with his ex-wife and some other girlfriends and shit. But if anything happened to that chick, if anything happened to Emily, I wouldn't say that he didn't do it absolutely 100%, but I'd say that it's really out of character for him. I would say if something happened and he was involved, he wasn't the only one involved. If anything, because of how everything is, the town, the cops, and everything, if anything, it could have been literally a cop or somebody in some sort of branch of enforcement slash government slash intel you know what i mean they might have either just gotten her high thought something was going to happen or lost their cool or just wanted to do it anyway and maybe one thing led to another either an overdose or even someone else choking her right i'm sorry graphic You know what I mean? That's more passive than beating the shit out of a chick or something. Because I could see Chad kind of stepping into that. You know what I mean? Which is crazy to say and funny to think about in a way because I know him so well. I could see him being there while something like that happened. I could also see him getting rid of a body. You know what I mean? I know he has before in the past. Tell me about that. I mean, I can only say so much. Tell me whatever you can about that. Like, many of those guys, I'm not saying he did it dozens of times or anything, but I know for sure he's done at least one to three times, and I wouldn't say just females or anything. What you're doing is literally making it blatant that this is what you're after. He's not stupid. Anytime you're letting him know that you're facing off with him, you're not only letting him know, but you're letting his intel network know who you are and what you're doing. And if this is something that you're going to do, even outside of this little story and this little town, you're going to be on a marker. 
You're not just some TikToker like regurgitating a bunch of other stories and shit. You're talking about actually head-on facing possible culprits of very serious crimes. Very serious nature of making little girls disappear. And you're a little... I love you, but you're a little girl. My talk with Charlie left me with complicated emotions. I'm not sure how to feel about Chad now. We still don't have any solid proof he's involved or even knows what happened to Emily. I didn't even talk to him about Emily. I just want to reiterate, I'm not a real reporter. I get really nervous before these interviews. I'm especially anxious to tell him what so many people are saying. I've never been good at confrontation. I can't even tell a server when something is wrong with my food. So how am I going to ask a man who's a convicted felon if he murdered someone? I'm not Keith Morrison from Dateline. Like Charlie said, I'm just a girl. I'm literally one person putting this whole thing together with the help of a few of my friends. What if he did do something or knows something and he gets upset with me when I ask him? I think it's important to remember why I'm doing this and who I'm doing it for. So I want to play this interview with another one of Emily's family members because it really drives home what this whole project is about. My name's Craig Heber. Emily is my niece. So Jenny's my sister. As a young child, you know, she was she was just outgoing. She did her own thing. She was very confident. And that continued as she got older. She was uh, funny. I just remember her running around and just being the life of everything. You know, we had a lot of family get-togethers and her just being involved in everything, every aspect of it. So you knew when Emily was around, let's say that. You know, she was a special girl. It was an Easter Sunday here in Yuma and we were all hanging out in the backyard of my house actually. And uh, we had an earthquake. It was a gigantic earthquake. It was it, it was a pretty intense one. And, and anybody in Yuma who, you know, was here at that time will remember this earthquake on Easter, especially because it was on Easter. But that kind of stuff always excited me. And it was so funny to see Emily kind of like light up about it too. She wasn't like, some people were scared and you know, they just didn't understand what was going on. Emily just got super excited about it. So her and I were just feeding off each other after this earthquake, so excited watching the pool water splash out. Just that kind of event, seeing her get excited and me get excited was kind of cool. So I told her, I was like, man, I'm disappointed we didn't get anything on video during the quake because we started watching the news. It was national news. They started talking about this earthquake. And uh, all of a sudden, Emily runs up to me with a phone and I think it, was, it had to have been a phone in her hand, some sort of camera in her hand. And she said, look, I got, I got this video. And it was of some picture frames on our wall. And she kind of zoomed in on one picture that was swinging back and forth. And I was like, how did you do that? That's awesome. You know, I was so excited. I was like, we should send it to the news. And you know, so I'm getting all into it. And, and she's like, come with me. And she brings me inside and she said, this is how I did it. And she just pushed the picture and started videoing the, the picture going back and forth and kind of like yelling earthquake. And it was just, it made me laugh. It was absolutely hilarious, but that's the kind of stuff she did. Just crazy, out of the box, weird stuff. But that one was a good memory for me, definitely. If you could take me through your experience of the family realizing Emily was missing and, and just really how that felt. 
I do want to say this. I guess you're speaking of how quickly this happened. I can almost say I didn't even know it was happening. It was happening so quickly. You know, one day Emily was a sweet little girl that, you know, everybody loved. And, and the next day she, she was a different person. You know, even though she was a different person, though, she still loved us. You could see it. She just she, she was just making terrible choices, doing things she shouldn't be doing. But I want to make it clear, Emily never lost that love for us, you know, and, and she always communicated with us in one way or another. So, you know, when she went missing, the family kind of knew it right away, like something is wrong. Because Emily wasn't one of those that, you know, she was an addiction, she would disappear for a week or disappear for, I mean, she wouldn't even disappear for a day. I mean, my mother, her grandma, communicated with her all the time, almost to the point to where we were like, you need to not do that so much, you know, and help her out so much because we're trying to do the tough love thing, but um, she never stopped doing that. So my mom was Emily's kind of lifeline a little bit, uh, let's say, and and so that communication was always there. And even with Jenny, it was never something that would pause for a time frame. you know. It was pretty immediately known, like, something is wrong. With her social media, too, you know, with... Uh, I, th I think it was just Facebook back then, but you know, she was pretty consistent with that. And just one day, boom, you know, it just stopped. And so that coupled with the, the phone calls not coming in, the communication not being there with Jenny or my mom, we all knew something was wrong. So I would say relatively quickly, we went to the police and, you know, said, hey, something's going on. We haven't heard from her. And, and I think Jenny already spoke about this, but it was kind of like, okay, well, she's in a different world, which is a world I never knew about in Yuma. You know, I, I knew that there was crime. I knew that there was, a, you know, we're a border town. It just is what it is. I never knew how deep this went and, and how accessible it is for everyone here. It doesn't take much to find it, you know? So we knew fairly quickly. Police kind of held it off a little bit. You know, I don't blame them for anything. I think that's just what they do. But, you know, we came to the realization pretty quick. Something was wrong. Did you think that someone had taken her at first? Or did you think maybe her phone was disconnected? Like, what was the initial thought? Like, oh, she's missing. What was the thought around that? It's hard because we've had so many rumors swirl since then. And it's hard to remember back then. It's a little difficult because now it's like, okay, was she brought to Mexico? Was she murdered? You know, was it trafficking? What was it? And we've heard every story. You know, we get calls of being kidnapped and, you know, send us money or else, you know, that kind of thing. So it's hard to think back then, but I do remember distinctly knowing whatever it is, it's, it's not it's not good for her. Even though it's a larger, you know, town, it's very small. And like you, some of the people involved or that have been involved or said to be involved, I know them, you know, I know these people. They've been friends of mine. I mean, I grew up with them, junior high, high school, you know, and I believe that one of them knows. And it makes me sick to know that it's somebody that I know. You know, I, I, I really feel that. Um, you know, to get the stories that I'm getting and, and the players that it is. It surprised me, number one, how close they were, you know, to me and the family. And as we dove deeper into that, it just, it scared me. It absolutely scared me. And one of them knows what happened to Emily. And we're not going after anybody. We're not trying to catch whoever, whatever happened to Emily. We're not trying to catch that person, you know, so just 
tell us what you know so you know we can we can bring her home that's all that's all we want okay i have to do it i have to ask chad about emily it's the only thing left to do at this point give me a little check 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 Um, But the more I started asking around, the more people wanted to talk about Emily Heber and her disappearance. Um, So at this point, I'm just working my way down the 163 people on the list of people. And I'm one of them. Um, I spent an extra six months in jail. But, you know, on the other hand, it's kind of one of the reasons I'm still clean and sober today. Oh my gosh. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and how it affected you? Uh, there was several th- different things at the period of time where I was using that, you know, I was witness to the disappearance of Emily. The rest of my interview with Chad in next week's episode. Before I sign off, I just want to thank all of the new listeners who've tuned in over the last month. This project is a true DIY labor of love. I've independently produced every aspect of the show, so your engagement goes a long way. Thank you to everyone who's rated and reviewed the show or shared us on social media or even with a friend. It makes a difference. Emily is a real girl who is still missing and her family needs answers. This whole project only works if people hear the show and start talking. If you haven't yet, a real way you can help is by sharing Rural Gothic with your friends and by rating and reviewing it. The next episode will be the last one in part one of Rural Gothic, What Happened to Emily Heber. I'm going to take some time off to try to get funding and more information to finish this season, and then I'd like to start production on another story I want to tell you about a little girl from a small town. I want to thank Jenny Jimenez for trusting me with Emily's story and to all of Emily's friends and family for their participation. A special thanks to Zach Schwartz for editing and for playing the role of Charlie in today's episode. Thank you to Manish Madahar and Izzy Fontaine for the original score, Izzy Fontaine for music directing, and to Jam Cole for production assistance. Thank you to Joshua Onzano for audio production assistance. At the top of every episode, you can hear my uncle, Dave Marquis, reading the news report. Sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. I'll see you all next time on Royal Gothic.